Peter Harrod here from the Dynasty Crossroads Show. I hope you can check us out, or actually just me now. Hope you can check me out. Come check me out. Yeah. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow. Welcome to the DLF Dynasty Podcast with your hosts, Dan Myler, Ryan McDowell, and Matt Price. Yes, I am Dan. That is Ryan. Matt is once again uh, studying abroad. I don't know what he's doing. He's doing something better than Spelunking? last Spelunking? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably what he's doing, Ryan. Uh, so it's just the oh two of God. us once again. Uh, Ryan and Dan, episode 517. Got an excellent show this week. We're going to talk some strategy. We have a bunch of listener questions that we want to get to. Some really good ones piled in this week. Um and we're gonna we're gonna play a little dynasty doppelganger with some of the rookies late in the show as well, Ryan. But you know, I think the theme to this week's episode, it feels at least to me, that we're kinda in a dead period, right? There's not a lot going on as far as NFL news. There's certainly not go not much going on in most dynasty leagues at this point, since we're past a lot of the the hotness of, of rookie draft season. It, it's a little bit of a dead period. Yeah, I've kind of joked lately that it hasn't even felt like the off season. Uh, you know, the the Super Bowl ended, didn't feel like the off season. Uh, the the combine came and went, and there was still more to come and free agency, and and then finally when the NFL draft uh, wrapped up, it felt like the off season really began, at least for me. And uh, of course, soon after that, uh, a lot of dynasty rookie drafts. We're underway, and and we know we, we get so excited for those, but then we we breeze through them, and and they're over in just a few days. And now we have this period where we're just kind of sitting around and hoping for some breaking news or uh, wondering what to do with our teams. And yeah, kind of it does kind of feel like uh, it, it feels like a dead period for sure, as you said. For me, it's a lot of staring at the inbox, hoping for a trade offer to come my way and something that we can build off of. I've been trying to make some moves in recent days, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in our strategy session that we're going to have in a little bit. But we should fire things up as we always do with the startup. The startup. As we said kind of a dead period not a lot of news but sometimes no news is worthy of talking about and when i think about no news it surrounds a couple of quarterbacks ryan we don't we haven't heard a lot about baker mayfield outside of some rumors and then there there was him not showing up for off-season activities at least the the portion that isn't um you're not you're not forced to go to um Baker Mayfield and then Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the injury and kind of the unknown future for Jimmy G in San Francisco with these two guys. It feels like they're both top 32 NFL quarterbacks and should be starters come week one in 2022. Now in dynasty, we're going to push them down low in that top 32 most likely, but it, you know, as far as gut feeling goes for you with these two guys, do you, do you lean one way or the other? Are these guys going to be under center? Well, there's there's so much unknown on, on both of these guys for different reasons. Uh, in, in Baker's case, it just seems like the market hasn't been there. 
even with multiple teams needing a quarterback going into the into the NFL draft, multiple teams still needing a quarterback and still having some some subpar options, it, it hasn't heated up like like many expected. In Garoppolo's case, I think it's all injury related, or, or at least largely uh, injury related. So the Baker news, I do think, you know, we're we're starting to get a little more smoke, right? There there was a report that Seattle could still be interested. Of course, they've got uh, they've got Drew Locke, they've got Geno Smith. That's that looks like the quarterback battle right now. Which I is saw the news pretty, that Geno Smith pretty was the gross. early early leader in the clubhouse in Seattle, and I shook my head like, oh no, we we can't do that, can we? Really? Well, the messages have been conflicting out of Seattle, right? A, lo- right. a lot of what they have done, including that Russell Wilson trade, felt like they're going to tear it down and start all over and. Then they draft a running back in day two, even though they already signed a running back. Who knows what's going on with the Seahawks. Uh, Carolina also could certainly be interested, drafted uh, Matt Corral and and also still have Sam Darnold. I don't think they should feel comfortable with either one of those options. And, uh, you know, say what you will about Baker and his faults and his struggles. I do think there's there's more upside there than there is certainly with Locke or, or, or Darnold at this point. So <clears throat> it does feel like Baker Mayfield would be an upgrade for both of those teams. And what we know for sure is Cleveland wants him off that roster, right? They've, they've got Watson for the long term. They've got Jacoby Brissett for the, the suspension period, whatever that might be, six weeks, eight weeks, a year, who knows? Um, they don't want Baker Mayfield on this team. You mentioned the OTA thing. He's not going to report to, to voluntary OTA. We saw the pictures uh, on Twitter and online of the uh, Browns offense getting together in, in some tropical location. They were all on the beach. Baker Mayfield nowhere to be found. Obviously, he did not make that trip. He's, he's basically not part of this team anymore. We're just waiting for it to be official. It was such a weird like game of musical chairs with all these quarterbacks. And then Baker was the one still standing scrounging for a chair. And, you know, there was all the news of him saying, send me to Indianapolis. I want to go to Indy. And then they trade for Matt Ryan. And pretty soon, I think Cleveland, even they were the, they were the chair really there that was saying, Oh no, we, we have two, (laughs) two quarterbacks for one chair and we just got to push one out. And they've, they've done that to this point. But it is a really odd situation. And as dynasty managers, with Baker specifically, our hope is that he ends up, if you're in a super flex league and Baker's your QB2, or one of those guys that you're you're thinking about putting your in your lineup, um, you're just hoping that Carolina or Seattle give him anything. Uh so yeah. so he gets one of those chairs, really. And you know, I guess I guess it's up to us now to to decide how likely is that in your opinion that he finds one of these starting spots and by week one, he's under center for somebody. Um, I still think it's pretty likely because as I said, I think he's off this roster, whether it's a trade uh, I don't think they're getting much back, but maybe, maybe they even have to kick in a a day three pick to get him off the roster. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw that type of trade with, with Brock Osweiler years ago. Uh, or they just outright cut him, and, and I'm sure the salary impl- implications on that are not great, but I think that's kind of the desperate move they're eventually going to be in if they can't pull off a trade, that they, they've got to get him officially 
off that roster. And, and then I do think he lands another job uh, at, at least competing for a starting gig with, with one of those teams that uh, clearly needs some help at quarterback. It, it really feels like he should be in Seattle to me. That, that seems like a, yeah. like a match. Pete Carroll is kind of an eccentric guy and, you know, he's excitable and stuff. And then, you know, we see the, the Baker Mayfield in the progressive commercials and the, the Heisman house commercials. And he's, He's just kind of a little bit goofy. His personality is a little bit, and he's he's okay making fun of himself a little bit. That seems to fit with Carroll and what they have going on in Seattle. And Seattle has a major need. Like Baker instantly becomes their starter, and maybe one of the leaders in their in their uh, locker room as well. I just I just think that makes too much sense for it not to happen. With Jimmy Garoppolo, though, it's a little bit of a different story because that front office. Which with John Lynch and, and that coaching staff in place, they really like Jimmy Garoppolo. And and they, they saw him as their starting quarterback, even with Trey Lance already there last year. I, I kind of feel like San Francisco might decide to take the other avenue and just say, well, if nobody wants him, if nobody's willing to pay for Jimmy Garoppolo, we're going to keep him. And it might be messy, but it's going to be a messy in-house situation for Shanahan and company in San Francisco, if, if nobody comes calling with, with at least a day two draft pick for the 49ers. I absolutely agree. I think it's, uh, it's totally different from the Baker situation. I don't, I don't think there's that, uh, that desire, that desperation to get Jimmy Garoppolo off the roster. Uh, and then the injury and in, in his health status just kind of, kind of messes up any, uh, trade value that he might have uh, otherwise. So that makes it tough to get a deal done. And, you know, unlike Baker, where even if he does somehow stay on this, uh, on that Browns roster, we know he's not going to play. He's not going, certainly not going to start. We can't say the, the same about Garoppolo. If Garoppolo is, is healthy and on the 49ers roster uh, come week one, or, or even come, uh, the preseason there's there's certainly a chance he could he could beat out Trey Lance for that starting job I mean I know both of us like Trey Lance a lot a lot of dynasty managers out there do but based on what we've seen in in his limited action we can't guarantee that he's ready for a starting job which makes it a messy situation because San Francisco behind Lance and then Garoppolo they have Nate Sudfeld and Brock Purdy on their roster they don't they don't have a clear-cut backup and somebody that could take snaps if necessary. There might be a little bit of appeal for that San Francisco coaching staff in keeping Garoppolo around, even if it is expected as a backup. They're they're supposed to be a contender, right? We're, we're, they're expecting to to play for an NFC championship, potentially go to the Super Bowl once again. And there there's value in having a backup quarterback, whether that be Lance or Garoppolo. I feel my gut tells me they're turning the page whether Garoppolo is there or not because Garoppolo is in the final year of his contract and they want to see what they have in Lance, but they will not shy away from keeping Jimmy G around. And Jimmy G seems like the type of player that would begrudgingly accept that backup duty, knowing that he can get to free agency next year and he's being paid like a starter to beat to hold a clip clipboard for a season. Yeah, Jimmy G is in a great position right now. He he's he's kind of in a win-win spot 
you know, worst case, he is that backup kind of in the, in the Mitch Trubisky role from this past season, hold that clipboard one year away or less than a year away from free agency and, and possibly another big payday. So yeah, he's in a good spot. I, I would say it's it. If we're talking about 50, 50, I think it's less than 50, 50 that Garoppolo has moved at this point. Yeah, I completely agree. Either way with both Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo, if you're in a super flex league and you're holding one of these guys, the key is to just to continue to hold on. Their value will increase at some point. There's no way that it goes down from this point. They have to bounce back at least to some extent in the next year or so. So we're holding on. Uh, you ready to talk a little strategy, Ryan? Let's do it. Stretch it. Yeah, let's have a little strategy session. We We talked about how we're in this dead period. And how there's not a lot of news happening. I mentioned that I'm I'm watching my inbox, hoping that a that a trade offer comes in, Ryan. I know uh, you're doing the same thing. In fact, you and I made a deal here in the last few days in one of the leagues, one of your kitchen sink leagues, um, for the first time in a couple of years. And and maybe that was born out of the boredom of this time of year, right? We're we're both looking for action. We want things to be happening. If not in the NFL, we want it to happen in our league. So. We, we thought it'd be fun this time of year to talk about this dead period and what we're doing to improve our dynasty rosters throughout this this couple of months um, schedule that we have in the middle of the year where it's not quite summertime and we're not we're not ready to put on the pads in training camp but and and we're past the the rookie draft you know really really fun of of the year. Um, so let's, let's talk a little bit about what we do right now. And, and maybe we should start with our, with our trade that we did a few days ago. Is it safe to say that that happened because we're, we're so excited to get something done in any, in any league really? Uh, I would say it happened because of, uh, of your interest in a certain player. I think we'll talk about him <laughs> okay. later today as well, potentially at least maybe, um, but yeah, I mean, there definitely is a little bit of that. And, and I kind of think that's actually, you know, almost dangerous in that if you're making trades out of boredom, uh, if you're making, you know, even waiver moves, if your waivers are open and you're just flipping uh, the bottom of your roster guys for, you know, for pretty much no reason, uh, that's, that's probably not a winning strategy. Have, have some, uh, have some thought, have some reasoning behind those moves you're making. But that doesn't mean you can't be making moves right now. There's there's definitely a, a lot of things you can be doing to improve your roster this time of year. And uh, I think one thing that happens a lot in Dynasty Leagues is we get to this dead period. There's nothing happening. It's pretty quiet. And Dynasty managers take that as a cue to step away, ignore their team, you know, quit looking at, at at Roto World or Twitter or whatever. Maybe maybe miss a couple episodes of, of their favorite podcast. You should be doing the complete opposite of that. Stay active, uh, stay engaged with your team and with uh, with your league. And if you're doing those things, you you can make some great moves this time of year. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head right there. I, I think open lines of communication is the first thing. 
uh, a yeah. quick text to one of your league mem- members uh, uh, in your in your DM thread. Throw a message out there. Throw in one or two players on the trade block and see if that gets a little bit of interest, a little bit of talk going. Maybe you just got out of your rookie draft and, and just start a conversation with one of your league mates about how it went and how they felt about their draft because – all of a sudden, you might you might hear that oh, I was I was sitting at the twelfth pick in the super flex, and I had to take Kenny Pickett because he slid all the way down that low. I don't even really like him, and then suddenly you get Kenny Pickett on your roster because of that. Um, so mm-hmm. I think those open lines of communication, but are are, are probably the number one um, bit of advice that we can give. I liked what you said there: missing an episode of your favorite podcast, not keeping up with the news. That's something that's overlooked this time of year because all of us do think there's no news, there's nothing to keep up on. But now is the time where you get that little bit of tidbit that gives you a gut feeling about a player and gives you the opportunity to pick up somebody on the waiver wire or attack that player in in your uh, free agent auction or draft or, or even on the trade market right now. So staying dialed in is is so important and it's something that, Ryan, you and I do partially because we do a podcast together. But but a lot of it is also because we're we're just that interested in in our leagues. And you'll find over time that the the players or the managers that that stay dialed in, that are focused on that news, that little bit of trickle in news, typically have the best rosters when it comes to September and then especially in January when we're hand, handing out the hardware. Yeah, I just think activity is is so important uh, in dynasty leagues. And one thing I like to do this time of year, I, I do this exercise uh, really as soon as the off season begins as well. Sometimes it's the fantasy off season. Maybe I'm starting that uh, right around the, the the new year. And sometimes I wait until the Super Bowl is wrapped up. But I go team by team, and I I try to label every dynasty relevant player as a buy sell or hold uh try just try to form that quick opinion on that player uh coming off the season and and that helps to fuel trades in january february march uh through through the winter and early spring and that's something i'm doing again this time of year because like i said earlier i kind of feel like we've reached a new point of the off season the true off season when when things are quiet, free agency and the draft are done, and those two events impact player value across the league so much. Uh, and, and obviously, we've seen you know we've seen dozens of players significantly change value uh, as a result of of both the draft and free agency. So I go through that again. Every team, every dynasty relevant player, would I want to be buying or selling, or do I just kind of want to hold on? Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm uncertain of the value. Uh, maybe I don't have a good grasp of the player's role or, or something like that. I don't want to force into a, a buy or sell label. So sometimes they're just kind of riding in that in that middle spot uh, and, and basically become a hold or, or a player that I'm really not doing anything with. But that's one thing that I'm doing this time of year. I think it helps. Uh, it helps me know who I want to target. Um, and, and really gets those trade talks started. One other thing to add to that, Ryan, would probably be to take a good hard look at your own roster. And I know we all like to do that throughout the season, no matter what. But 
even going as far as submitting a lineup or or writing down your starting lineup and and getting a good feel for where your strengths and where your weaknesses are coming up onto this season and then and then making a having a really honest conversation with yourself about how how much of a contender that is this team are we still a year or two away and are there any moves that I could make now that can help me down the road Right now, of course, we, we always talk about how rookies will continue to gain value throughout this offseason. Veterans slowly start picking up a little bit more value as we get closer to the season. But right now is the time, Ryan, where we can, if, if you need that RB2 for a, a run at a league title or even to take your team from um, a top 8 or 10 team to a fringe playoff team and, and see what you can do in the playoffs... Now's the time to get those types of players. We highlighted a few running backs last week. There are some wide receivers as well that can help out, and even quarterbacks that are late in their career. If you if you identify that weakness and can get a value up out on the trade market right now, it, it's a perfect time to do something like that. Absolutely, yeah. What you were saying was reminding me of that conversation about uh, Leonard Fournette, Derrick Henry, James Conner that we had last week. And I, I would just echo the same thing I think I said then that um, in that early part of the off season, even players like that at, at that high level that have, that are coming off a strong season and in, in Fournette and Connor's case, you're still not comfortable investing and in, in trading for those players in February or March, because we're unsure of what the, uh, of what free agency would bring uh, in, in those two specific players case, they were both free agents this year. So, uh, we didn't want to go out and buy Connor, buy Fournette. What if they land uh, in, in a bad situation? What if there's no market for those players? Uh, and, and then, of course, waiting on the NFL draft to see if those teams also invest an early pick in the running back position. Uh, but but now we basically know the majority of the, the information that we're going to get um, prior to training camp, we, we already have it. Right. I mean, there'll be a few breaking news. Maybe somebody gets traded. Maybe it's Baker or Garoppolo, like we talked about earlier. Or, you know, maybe there's a knock on wood, a fluke injury or something like that. But between the end of the Super Bowl and the beginning of training camp, uh, we've got the majority of the information we're going to get. So we can start making those moves specifically for running backs, but really all veterans to help put our teams over the top. So we covered what we do as managers. We're both commissioners as well, Ryan. And we're talking about this dead period um, throughout May and even June into the summer. Some things that you've done in your leagues, you know, you run contract leagues. I run a lot of salary cap leagues as well. And one thing that we like to do as commissioners to, to try to get through the dead period is create events that happen throughout that off season and spread them out. So you have franchise tags and, and RFA tags to, to give out every, every month. Or you're going to have some kind of auction or draft every single month. As a commissioner, I know you probably feel the same way. It does add a lot to the, to the communication level of an entire league. So for those, of, of, of those that are listening that are also commissioners, can you give them a little bit of wisdom on, on how to create a, a better atmosphere for more action throughout this time of year? Yeah, you kind of hit on it. Just just creating some type of event. And in those um, 
in those contract leagues that that we run, it's a it's a little easier to do that because there is there's there more moves to be made if a, a player contract is expiring. We're going to have that free agency period. Uh, and in the kitchen sink leagues, we, we have a couple of them, right? We have restricted free agency, unrestricted free agency. Obviously we have a rookie auction and uh, along with the Debbie auction. So, I mean, there, there's enough events to almost fill up an entire off season. We try to focus on one thing each month, but if you're just in a, uh, you know, kind of a typical uh, dynasty league that is not a contract league and not a Debbie league. It's a little more challenging to to find those types of events. To me, the more drafts, the better, right? So maybe you have a free agent draft. Maybe you even have a couple free agent drafts in the middle of the off season. Uh, I, I think something like that, rather than having open waivers uh, all off season or just having kind of one big waiver run um, late in the off season, those types of events would uh, spice up a league, make a league a little more active during this dead time. I played in a league in the early 2000s where we had two mandatory cutdowns. It was a regular dynasty league, mm. but we had to cut our rosters down to 18 or 20 players twice in the off season. And then we're forced to build it back up to the full 24 man allotment. And that created action because you, you had to, you, you wanted to keep your top 18, but if you felt like you had 19 or 20 solid players that w- should be under consideration, you could get a trade made because of that. Be- you know, others are, are looking for something. Maybe you move up in the draft or you move up in a future draft or something like that. But I, I really did enjoy that. That was a regular dynasty league. I think that's good advice. Have something put together to, to get your guys and, and gals together and have a conversation about where you are as a league um, that creates trades and, and just creates, a, a, you know, generally a lot more fun in the league. Um, before we get to our question of the week segment that we want to hit on next, we want to hit on Underdog. The DLF Dynasty podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Those guys, they they have created the best place to play fantasy sports when you, when we're talking about best ball or daily drafts or pick them. Um, and you can start drafting in minutes for a shot at some really big cash prizes. Um, I'll get to that here in a minute. The best part about Underdog Fantasy is that by signing up for a new account on Underdog, you're going to get a free DLF annual premium uh, membership. In addition to that membership, your Underdog's going to uh, provide a 100% deposit match up to $100. So this is an awesome way to start enjoying the games at Underdog Fantasy right now. The offer is good for new and existing DLF subscribers. So even if you already have a DLF sub, we're going to automatically extend that subscription for an entire year, an additional year. Underdog uses typical half PPR scoring, single quarterback rosters, and no defenses or kickers. You know, this read says that, single quarterback rosters, Ryan, but we played in that Superflex one uh, last month, and that was a lot of fun as well. They have new games coming out all the time. 18 rounds of fun right now for both slow and fast uh, drafts. 
So whether you want the four long, you know, four hour timer or the shorter 30 second clock that you can get done in just a few minutes while waiting in line somewhere or just just chilling on your couch in the evening, it's a fun, fair and flexible environment that you're sure to love. I know I'm loving that Best Ball Mania 3 drafts, those drafts that are happening right now. Ryan, you're doing the same thing as well. Underdog is giving away $10 million in prizes, including a $2 million prize to the winner. So if you want to get in on all of this, and you should because you get that free year of DLF premium, you get the 100% deposit match, and you get to play for up to $2 million just for winning a fantasy league, which we all want to do anyway, just visit DynastyLeagueFootball.com, click the Underdog Fantasy banner, and claim your 100% deposit match and free year of DLF premium right now. Let's hear from the listeners. It's time for the question of the week. It's not just one. I guess we should have should have had, had that read redone and say questions <laughs> of the week because we had so many good ones that we we picked three actually. And the first one, Ryan, comes from the Trav twenty three on Twitter. Uh, good time to talk about this. We haven't hit on Travis Etienne, and he asked, "What do we think about the the Jaguars running back?" With Robinson coming off an Achilles injury and no real other competition, could ETN be a top 15 running back in 2022, Ryan? You know, ETN has been a, a tough evaluation for me. I talked about that that process I, I've been going through with every player, and, and uh, he ended up in, in that hold category. I wasn't quite sure uh, if I should aggressively buying him or, or just getting him off my roster while I could. So I'm, I'm kind of a little wishy-washy when it comes to ETN, but the more you look at the situation, you have to feel pretty good about it. I certainly feel good about a new, uh, a new offense and new coaching staff coming in, kind of try to forget about the disaster that was last season. And I, I don't expect James Robinson to come back as quickly uh, as Cam Akers did. I'm not sure. I'm not sure when we'll see James Robinson. And, you know, honestly, I, I think Travis Etienne is just more talented than Robinson anyway. So I'm starting to think uh, Etienne might actually move over into that, that buy category for me. Looking at our ADP, he is RB19 right now. Feels about right behind David Montgomery, behind Antonio Gibson. Um, maybe Maybe a little room to grow there even over the next couple months before we get to the preseason. This is a interesting situation because there's so many moving parts. ETN, of course, missed an entire rookie season after after getting hurt in week two of the preseason. It was, and then Robinson had that great season despite all the turmoil and stuff in Jacksonville, and then gets mm-hmm. hurt in December. So on the other end of the spectrum, he has to he has to go through all that recovery process, but. To this point, we haven't got all that much news, right? You know, they had the coaching change and, you know, they have the young quarterback and and all the stuff happened in there in Jacksonville. And and there, there's just no opportunities to really to really hear about what's going on. I, I know Doug Peterson mentioned a few things right after the draft, real vague stuff. He pretty much said both of them are mm-hmm. doing well, that Robinson, you know, they're not willing to say that he's going to miss anything more than until the kickoff of training camp. But that, that is a stretch at this point, you know, to, for, for yeah. a player to come back that quickly, that's, that's, not, that's certainly not the rule. It's the exception. 
So I just don't know what to expect out of out of both of these players because both are coming off such serious injuries. Yeah, and and I do think I think you you make a good point that Etienne's injury was serious as well. Uh, that foot injury that's not something that you know that that we just assume it's going to come back cleanly from. Uh, although it does sound like the latest reports, and you said there hasn't been much news. You're right. The latest reports, though, say that EDN will be a full go for OTAs, which would be, I think, a nice surprise. That That's kind of best case at this point. When it comes to Robinson, I mean, like, I don't think we can even assume he's going to play this season at all. I, um, I think that's maybe, the maybe that's way to look at it, right? The, right. Like, right. we might be shocked, but even if he's back, he's not going to be the same James Robinson as he was pre-injury, right? I wouldn't expect him to be. And, and uh, I mean, maybe these running backs are, are are rewriting the, you know, the, the book when it comes to recovering from these serious injuries, that, that would be great news for them and uh, you know, for the sport in general, but I'm not assuming that we see a, a cam makers like return for Robinson. So that is, that is kind of pushing me towards ETN as, as a player to invest in, uh, but again, still with, with some hesitancy in general. A little bit of hesitancy, and maybe the Jags tip their hand just a little bit in the draft. In the fifth round, they pick Snoop Connor, who is a little bit more of a power back, a little more, more in the in the James Robinson mold that could be paired with ETN potentially as as that one two punch. I, I think I think it's probably safe to say at this point that the expectation should be that Robinson misses time in the regular season, that ETN is back in time for the regular season. And all that adds up to me, at least that ETN is the guy, if you need short-term production and Robinson shouldn't be forgotten because he was so great over those two seasons. It's just going to take a while for him to get back to the point where, where he's that same type of explosive, powerful running back. I talked about some of those running backs that are just ahead of Travis Etienne and our ADP Gibson and Montgomery looking at the players he's being drafted ahead of, or they're surprising as well. Aaron Jones ahead of Aaron Jones, ahead of Leonard Fournette, ahead of Josh Jacobs, and Ezekiel Elliott and AJ Dillon. So you can really just based on value and, and the other players in that, in that range, you can make a case that ETN could go either direction because that, that tier is so large. It It's incredibly large. And, and ETN, his name, it brings, brings some head scratching a little bit because you, you're really not that sure what to expect um, because of the lost rookie season. We'll see how that all shakes up. We, we just talked about James Robinson coming off the big injury. The next question comes from Paul on Twitter. What are you doing with Cam Akers? The fantasy football community seems split on him, and for good reason. He comes back. It was so impressive that he came back so quickly last year, Ryan. And then when he did get back, he wasn't nearly as impressive, certainly not the same player as he was when he was a rookie during that Rams Super Bowl run. It was it was exciting to watch, and it was certainly impressive to see him on the field so quickly, Ryan. But 
it, it did create this this doubt among dynasty managers out there that he may not be the same player again. Is that an opportunity to to buy in since he did get on the field and he's closer to being 100% or are you seeing it as a reason to doubt whether he'll get back to where he was a year and a half ago? I think he really he really fueled the fire for both directions, right? right? If you were a doubter, if you were giving up on Cam Akers because of that injury, you can look at his performance in the playoffs uh, and say, see, this is this is what it's going to be, where he's not going to be the same player. And, and obviously, if you were still a believer in the player, maybe for whatever reason not as worried about the injury, you, you're just pounding the table and saying this is the first guy ever to come back this quickly from this type of injury. Um, I'm probably closer to the latter. I, I was a big fan of Cam Akers. Uh pre-injury as so many dynasty managers were he was he was creeping up to that top five dynasty running back range before the injury right now he's rb 13 uh and 30th overall in our adp so uh it seems like in general he's certainly not all the way back value wise but uh i think there's enough support for him that he's he's going to get back up into that top 10 running back range if we see anything uh, positive from him, and 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 of course, I think we will. Um, so I'm I'm buying Cam Akers. Uh, the, there's still a little bit of a discount from his pre-injury uh, value. So he, yeah, he's a, he's a player I'm pretty excited about, actually. I I seem to feel the same way. Those those numbers from that playoff run are staggering, though, right? It, it, in those four playoff yeah. games. Uh, 67 carries, just 172 yards, 2.6 yards per, per attempt. And he's a guy that we typically see four and a half, almost five yards per carry. We saw explosiveness, the ability to get the edge quickly. And those things just weren't there in the postseason against good defenses. In fact, there were times when when there was a crease and he you could tell he he burst tried to put on the put on the burners to get through that crease and the the hole just closed up too quickly it wasn't because the defense is that good or somebody made a great play it was simply that Akers didn't just didn't have that first step like he did beforehand i believe that that we're going to continue to see players return faster return better and return to their original um, athleticism and, and playmaking ability. That is going to happen, and it'll happen faster than it ever has before. He's really the first one to do it, though. You can say what you want about Marlon Mack, right. and, and he did it quickly as well, and, and that was all great. But we've seen players come back from this injury, and it take multiple seasons, not just two, maybe even three or four, for them to start to look like the player they were in the past medicine is and these doctors they're incredible they're bringing these guys back faster than ever i think acres could surprise a lot of us so well i'm not going to throw in the towel quickly this season because it's it's going to take a year or more for him to return to form i am willing to take the discount at this point you know thinking back to when the injury happened ryan there were people selling acres for late rookie draft picks and, you know, like second and third round draft picks for Akers. And I I would not want to be one of those people that did that at this point. 
No, that that rarely works out, and uh, you just had to basically be banking on him never playing again um, for for that to be a win. The third and final question we wanted to cover comes from Dynasty Beach Boy on Twitter. It says, how do you determine the best player available when drafting in rookie or startup drafts? Average of ADP and rankings? So a couple of questions there, the first one being the main one, and then it felt, Ryan, when I read it, like like a guess, like like maybe you're reaching for the answer with the average of ADP and rankings. I think that's a starting off point. That's, that's somewhere to start when you're trying to determine who the best player is available. But let's break this down into two parts. First of all, the best player available strategy. Whether you're in a, a, a rookie draft or a startup draft, that's usually the the best way to go, right? We we don't want to really subscribe to the all team need matters when you're when you're making that draft pick. Um but when you just at its core, when you're trying to identify the best player that's available to your team, what where's the starting point for you? Well, first of all, I don't think you can I don't think it's as easy as saying take ADP and rankings and average them or always trust these numbers. It's, you know, it's a little more art than science, I would say. Uh, And sometimes it's, sometimes it's just a gut feel uh, about a player or comparing one player to another. Um, So I, I think it has to start with identifying your favorite player at a position. Uh, So, and regardless, like you said, regardless of, what your current team might look like, because when you're talking about best player available, that's basically what you're saying. You're saying, regardless of what I have on my roster already, I want the best guy. If I have eight good wide receivers, I might still take a wide receiver if that's the best guy. So start by position. Um, and, and depending on the situation, you might be able to totally overlook a position. If you're late in the first round of a rookie draft this year, you're not considering a tight end at all. You can ignore that. So look at the wide receivers available. There's probably two or three or four that you might consider. Rank those. Which one of those do you want the most? If if you had to draft a wide receiver, which one would it be? Do the same thing at the running back position. Find that one running back that you like the most. And then it becomes a little easier to compare this one wide receiver versus this one running back. Uh, and then if you're talking, of course, a super flex league, maybe you throw the quarterback position in there as well. I know, uh, Dan, you and I have been doing a bunch of those underdog, underdog drafts together. We've had these types of conversations daily, basically. You know, do we want this wide receiver? This is the wide receiver we like the best. Or do we want to go with a different position? And, and that's, that's kind of what it is to determine the best player available. Yeah, that's all great advice. I, I, you know, I feel like I would just echo the exact same thing. So I'm going to add one thing is while best player available is a great starting point, And certainly you should go through the steps that Ryan outlined there. Tier-based drafting is also very important and a skill that you're going to want to want to craft a little bit. You're going to want to get a good feel for because using Ryan's example there, maybe there are those three or four wide receivers that you're considering at the end of a round. But if you're coming around at the high part of the second round and there's only one running back left, 
uh, that, that you're really interested in. Maybe you do take the running back earlier, even though you would prefer the wide receiver if you could only get one. Most likely you're getting two of these players. You take the running back now. Guarantee yourself one of those three or four wide receivers. Grab the wide receiver the second time. And, and maybe you do end up with the guy you prefer there. So I, I know that really wasn't part of the question there. But tier-based drafting is something that should be considered even when you are trying to get the best player available. Uh, let's jump. Uh, we got one more segment to cover. We got about 15 minutes to do it at end, and it's going to be a fun one. Dynasty Doppelganger. And when we came up with these ideas for segments, this is one that I, my my silly little brain came up with. And I didn't even know how we were going to use it, but let's let's try right now. It's Dynasty Doppelganger. It's the rookie edition. And we're going to randomly pick uh, some rookies and talk about them. And the two of us are going to try to find a current or past player that we think his fantasy career will resemble most. Ryan, when I did this, I tried to tried to consider like player archetype when I was doing it. You know, a fast receiver might be a fast. You you want somebody that was speedy. Um, we we put a bunch of names into the hopper, and we're gonna see which ones come out. We'll try to get through two or three of these. Uh, so let's spin the wheel and find out who we're gonna talk about. I love that. Oh, there was one more. I thought there was one more as well. Uh, lands on Christian Watson, one of my favorite rookies this year, not just because I'm a Packer fan. Um, size, speed, wide receivers, played at the small school. Um, there, there were a handful of players we were considering doing, and, and we're not 100% sure which ones we're going to talk about today. But I'm glad we got to talk about Watson because I think there's a lot of different directions this conversation could go. Ryan, I'm going to throw one name out that you cannot use, okay? Because I'm so tired of hearing it. It's Marquez Valdez-Scantling. It's so easy, a tall, skinny, fast, wide receiver, smaller school, ends up in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. Don't give me MVS for for Christian Watson. All right. I think I'm sitting this one out uh, oh, in that case. <laughs> It is. It is, of course, the comp that we've heard a lot. But I think it make it makes a lot of sense for some. Oh of the my gosh! You are you serious? But also, Christian Watson is is that deep threat. That's what we. Ex- I'm sorry that uh, that's what Marquez Valdez Scantling was, and he's he's got the drop issues as well, which has plagued MBS. So um, it, it's an easy one. It's a lazy one, if you want to say that. But it's kind of the most obvious one, too. I, I would love to hear, as a Watson fan, as a Packer fan, I, I would love to hear what you came up with on this one. So, I, when I, you know that I loved Watson before the Packers drafted him. I, I saw him yes. as, a, as a guy who deserved to be at the end of the first round, and I was excited to see his landing spot. And landing with Aaron Rodgers really did add a lot to his value for, for dynasty managers, I mm-hmm. think. And, because you took such a low-end fantasy player, I have two players written down. I'm going to take a high-end one. The player that I want him. If he reaches his peak, I think he could be Brandon Marshall. Another guy that is tall, long. Marshall wasn't nearly as fast, a 4'5", 340. 
And he was a little heavier. He was he was 6'4", 229. I should say is. He's a big guy still. Uh, just not playing in the NFL anymore. And he, he played at such an elite level. And clearly Watson has to refine his game as a underneath option, as a as a route runner. And then also as the as the you know intermediate red zone option that Marshall dominated at that part of the field with with multiple 10 12 touchdown type seasons I I don't think Watson's going to be that kind of player early in his career he's going to be a lot closer to MVS early in his career than anything like like Brandon Marshall or or you know he has a little bit of Amari Cooper in him too Amari Cooper had way more speed early in his career Mm. than he does now in fact I think he was 4-4 coming out of college at Alabama I think that is the ultimate upside. Those types of players are the Christian Watson upside. Now, the and the bottom of it is a player like MVS because Valdez Scantling never established himself as a crossing pattern slant option who could catch the ball and use that speed and that that uh, like electrifying punt return type skill after the catch. He had to catch the ball down the field, and and the drops are something. I don't really want to get into that much. You know, Watson, yes, he dropped a few passes, but he was only thrown a few passes as well. It wasn't like they were running an offense that was running straight through Christian Watson. He wasn't getting targeted 50 or 60 times. So if you have a bad stretch as as a wide receiver in college, it's gonna get it's gonna get amplified when you don't get a lot of opportunities to catch the football. So, you know, I think Watson it has has superstar type upside, but he could be, you know, if he doesn't reach any of that potential, a player that is in the MVS mold. So I, I think we hit both ends of it. Most likely, Ryan, he finds his way somewhere in the middle between those two players. Uh, you ready to try another one? Let's do it. Oh, not as many ticks that time. Mm. I guess I didn't roll it quite as fast. This time we land on James Cook. So we flip over to running back. Ends up in Buffalo and got all the draft capital that we expected. Cook's a little bit all all over the place. I'll go first on this one since he went first on the last one. The the guy I have circled here who's a little bit taller, um, but... And maybe this is more like I had the same types of feelings about the two players. It's Kenyon Drake, who who was maybe drafted a little bit higher than than we expected when he went to Miami mm-hmm. a few years ago, and now of course went through Arizona and ends up in Las Vegas. But um, another guy in the four fours for a forty time, a good pass catcher, was highlighted in that part of his game in his college career, but showed that. He could potentially handle a little bit of workload. That's how I see Cook, a guy who who probably finds himself as a pass catcher in the NFL predominantly. But I really do feel that if he was handed a job or, or had to had to play that primary tailback role, he could do some good things for fantasy managers and potentially, like Kenyon Drake did in parts of his career over the first five or six years, carry fantasy managers for stretches of seasons. I like the Kenyon Drake one. I, I've got actually four names for this one. I, oh boy. I, I couldn't come up with much. Couldn't come up with much uh, on Christian Watson, but uh, I, I had some ideas for James Cook, and, and Kenyon Drake was one of them. So I like that. I, I tried to think about with these players, of course, not only a, a comp for 
size and playing style and things like that. But now that we know that landing spot, we know draft capital, kind of how do we see that their career playing out? And you kind of nailed it there with Drake, a, a little bit undersized, but more of a pass catcher than uh, than maybe that uh, every down back type of player. Some others that are that are in that kind of same mold. Uh, both of these guys got got some run um, in in some cases extended run as a starter for a team, though they might have been better off just as part of a committee. Steve Slayton is one. Okay, you remember Steve Slayton? Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, had certainly had some success, but it was it was kind of short lived because I do think he was uh, he would have been. Uh, better off as as the one B to uh, to a one A in in that backfield, uh, and Miles Sanders is the other one. Um, there's there's you know ongoing debate for the past three seasons, three or four years if Sanders should be a lead back or uh, more of a committee type back. Uh, so I, I see a little bit of both of those guys along with Kenyon Drake, and then the other one that that kind of fits this, and this really has more to do with Devin Singletary than it does uh, Cook maybe is uh, is Tony Pollard, right? Well, mm. like we've wanted Tony Pollard to be a, a, a thing for a couple of years now and he's shown flashes and he's he's had a role, but he hasn't had that backfield to himself. And and I wonder if that's what we see with James Cook. I I had two names and it was Drake and Tony Pollard for all those reasons you mentioned. And it's more about career trajectory from a dynasty perspective with him. We're going to get those bursts, those flash games, maybe even a game where, where Cook gets the workload and he's so impressive. And all of us think, well, he's the guy now. He should be the guy. Get all these carries every single week. Get these touches. I don't know if NFL GMs and front offices and coaching staff see Cook as that type of player. I think James Cook is, is going to be seen as as more of a add-on piece to an offense. And and that's fine. Certainly dynasty managers can capitalize on that, but, but the expectation that he could someday be that full-time running back three down guy, maybe is a little bit too much to ask. Let's try to get one more in here before we get out. All right. Jameson Williams. So a little bit bigger mm. name this time, Ryan. Um, this one was tough for me when I was prepping because he di- we didn't get the the 40 time. We didn't get the all the measurables and the combine and all that stuff with Jameson. And he is one of those string bean, taller, t- wide receivers, 6'1", but, but real thin, rail thin, just 179 pounds and... You know, until recently, Ryan, we haven't seen a lot of those types of wide receivers and certainly haven't seen a lot of those types of guys be super successful. So I'm interested in who you had here. Yeah, so on this one, I mean, I think of Williams. Well, I think many think of Williams because he is that speed, uh, that speedy guy, that deep threat. I think we think of him as a boom bust uh, type player. I don't really think he is that. I think he's more well-rounded. Uh, more of a complete wide receiver than maybe the perception is. I don't oh, know you're Mike not going to take the layup this, this time? Uh, I don't know. Who's the layup? 
Uh, there's Devontae a layup, Smith? I think, that you always hear. Who do you end up going with? I, I said Mike Wallace. Oh, my gosh. So, are you kidding me? <laughs> it's Mike Wallace. That's who I had, too. Yeah. What a great, that's an excellent one. I thought I was I was going to be the only one. <laughs> oh, well, we're, we're sharing a brain on that one. Mike Wallace. Uh, really I thought Deshaun Jackson Probably. was the easy one. That, that was what oh, a lot yeah, of people yeah. say. And I didn't want to do that. No, see, I, I mean, I still think of D-Jax just as, and maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but I, I still think of him as just a, a, a deep threat, you know, yeah. maybe one of the best of all time. Um, but Mike Wallace was that deep threat, but uh, could do damage all over the field. He had six seasons where he was a top 25, dyn- or a top 25 uh, fantasy wide receiver, two seasons as a top 10 uh, wide receiver, better than he's remembered for, better than he's given credit for, uh, certainly from a fantasy perspective uh, as part of that Steelers offense for so long. Um, I think I think that could be Jameson Williams. You stole my thunder. All the same stats. I got them all written down here. I was going to say the same thing. I will never forget <laughs> Mike Wallace. He won me so many titles and made me so competitive. One of my favorite non-Packers of all time because of what he did for my dynasty teams. Deshaun Jackson was the easy one. I also thought somebody might come with Brandon Cooks, but they're they're very different players. Cooks a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. more of a slot receiver. Jamison can play on the outside, burn you deep, and just kill you on those bubble, bubble screens and those quick actions around the line of scrimmage. I think maybe Jamison Williams, guys like him, um, a few others in the last few years, mostly coming out of Alabama, they're changing the mold. These are different types of players, but Mike Wallace was the name that came to mind for me as well. I also considered Steve Smith a little bit. He was a little bit more, more, more body. He was a, he was a little bit of a thicker speed receiver. Um, I liked him as as well, but man, you, you totally got me on that. on Mike, Mike Wallace. <laughs> I, w- I was really hoping we'd get to talk about Williams. We had a few other guys that we were thinking about doing this week. Maybe we'll push those off to another week. This is a fun one. I really like doing this exercise. We'll try to get, get Matt involved in this one. If he ever comes back from hiatus. So that's going to do it for this episode of the DLF Dynasty podcast. For Matt, who's still in the wilderness, and Ryan, who's right over there, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'll catch you again next week. Thank you for listening to the DLF Dynasty podcast. Please remember to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.